0: Welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestus for that opening music and just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam that's C M I R I A M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we'll be listening to coverage from the Minnesota House Select Committee on Racial Justice. Just a reminder, if you've got feedback on a story or a story tip, Please email us. Again, that's the Radical News Radio Hour at gmail.com. We'll be listening to testimony from the most recent meeting of the House Select Committee on Racial Justice, coverage which, we, which we've been following since it first launched. Thanks to the uptake, where I work as executive director for the audio, and their sponsors, the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits and Voices for Racial Justice, for their support of our work.
1: You
2: then have the floor.
1: Uh, good good morning, uh, Bruce Corey. I am uh, a professor of economics at Concordia University and also uh, member of the Alana Community Brain Trust. Alana standing for African, Latino, Asian, and Native American. Uh, I, it's uh, seeing snow across my window as I speak. Uh, it, this is a right time to talk about issues like this. Um, uh, by way of background, I mean uh, when I was listening to the video. Uh, it reminded me about my close friend uh, that when I moved to Minnesota 30 years ago, an African American uh, lady who would go to St. Peter Claver Church that I attend. Her name was Grandma Wilson. I called her. Uh, she died at about 104, and she she reminded me about this incredible strength of the human spirit that has the ability to transcend world wars and civil wars and civil rights and 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 she always had that optimistic. Uh, and, and a lot of and she lived in the rondo area where her she lost her home and had to move closer to the church so a lot of that experience influenced my own thinking about um economic development i uh, um, in terms of uh, some background about me i uh, governor ventura chair, uh, appointed me to chair the working group on minority business development in 2000 yes 2000 uh, where we produced the first statewide report on the uh, power of minority businesses. We had statewide hearings, including in reservations, and we compiled a report on recommendation, and recommendations. And the report was also noted for uh, portraying uh, the uh, minority uh, communities as assets. And uh, through these years, I've been documenting the economic contributions of immigrants and minorities. Most recently was the director of planning and economic development of the city of St. Paul and listening to the, the, the video. Uh, I appointed the first uh, uh, minority uh, director of planning and the mer- director of uh, housing uh, for the city of St. Paul in its history. Uh, I worked with community groups to establish this model of economic development uh, that views uh, the Alana communities as assets and it could be seen in cultural destination areas like Little Africa, Little Mekong. And, uh, And so I wanna bring some of these ideas and thoughts uh, to your attention, first talking about the Minnesota paradox, uh, then talking about the Minnesota solution and some recommendations. So that's kind of the outline of what I'll be taking. So the Minnesota paradox was first coined by uh, Dr. Samuel Myers of the Humphrey Institute. And he talked about this coexistence of a very high quality progressive politics, innovative program, a state that's welcoming, having a diverse economy, and coexisting with it some of the worst racial disparities, especially for black Minnesotans. And so what he, uh, his analysis was, we've all these great programs, but because they fail to integrate uh, the, 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 the reality of racist structures and institutions, uh, it leads to failures of these programs. And so uh, in my opinion, racism is not only a public health crisis, Racism is also an economic chokehold on the Alana communities, as you saw in the video. And uh, I can show you in some of these practices and patterns that happens in different areas. For instance, in housing, uh, minorities, Alana communities pay higher interest rates. uh, And all of these are documented in studies uh, for mortgages or denied at a higher rate. Uh, They are steered to locations that are not uh, so uh, uh, valuable. This practice of redlining, they are found to pay higher property taxes. Uh, And when they sell the house, their houses are appraised at a lower value. And the end result is the kid living in poor quality housing and this intergenerational transfer of wealth uh, does not occur. Uh, The maps that you saw on the video, uh, not only of Minneapolis, but there are maps about St. Paul and Rochester and Duluth. So you have the statewide uh, ways in which uh, housing discrimination occurred. In the area of education, uh, you find uh, we as we start with underfunded schools and poor preparation in schools, leading to remedial college education and the student has to pay for those remedial college classes and these things add to their debt. Uh, they end up in academic majors that are not uh, very career uh, and high paying careers and they do not have enough uh, uh, support systems in the institutions and a cultural intelligent learning environment. And, and so you end up with delayed graduation, late graduation or not gra- graduation at all. And those who do graduate are stuck in low paying jobs with high debt. Business areas, you find a lot of minority businesses, a lot of businesses that are starting up uh, there's a good burst of energy for various reasons past experience, uh, uh, their um, assets, uh, but also uh, discrimination in the workplace that pushes them into entrepreneurship. Uh, In the area of finance, they run into problems of access to capital. They rely more on personal sources of funding. And so this lower capital has impacts on their business. They uh, do not have the access to the contracts and the customers and the networks that help them to grow and expand their business. And then rules and regulations tend to act as a barrier to their growth. Um, some of these rules and regulations that, uh, that are not really um, uh, important in terms of safety and and, and uh, of the customer, for example. And then the end result is that uh, most of these businesses, on average are about 183,000 versus 1. 1.4 million in other businesses in Minnesota. Uh, there was a lot of testimony uh, last uh, in the last week about uh, health and issues and it reminded me of my PhD research where I looked at the impact of economic policies and programs on child survival and development. So if you could start from maternal health and economic assets is one of the most critical uh, factors in in child survival and development. And then the economic assets of the household such as income and wealth. uh, These translate into housing, sanitation, nutrition, and healthcare basically the child's physiological environment and then compacted on these are the social systems whether it's race class gender religion attitudes and beliefs and all these factors in very complex ways ultimately impact on the education health and nutrition and cognitive abilities of children especially children of the poor Uh, looking statewide we see these disparities documented by deed statistics in unemployment rates in uh, coexisting with uh, with uh, significant presence of of Alana workforces and uh, workers in these areas, and the fact that many of the businesses are reporting that they do not hire, uh, they have not hired uh, Alana people in the in the workplaces uh, for whatever reason. But the disparities exist all across uh, Minnesota. Then there are numerous reports, in, including the one that I uh, helped co-author in 2000 on the. Economic con- uh, contribution of minority businesses. There's the Minnesota Equity Blueprint, the Twin Cities Economic Inclusion Plan, all of them having some really good recommendations, all of them uh, basically gathering dust. There are two very uh, important tools in the government's uh, toolkit uh, to grow Alana businesses State Statute 16C, where 25% of all public spending is targeted to small and minority businesses and HUD section three that is a very effective strategy for low-income uh, people from low-income backgrounds to get jobs and business opportunities and to grow in uh, as these investments happening in HUD-related projects. Uh, but the track record in all of this has not been very much. For instance, I looked at a Deloitte study 2013 And compared to some of the recommendations we brought out in our 2003 report, a 2000 report on minority business development, and a lot of them were still not implemented. Uh, Looking at existing uh, utilization of uh, Alana businesses in in, uh, state procurement, uh, the numbers, unfortunately, are not very much higher than what I found in 2000. And uh, a very surprising statistic that uh, there's zero utilization in many of these programs that need uh, to in, integrate section three uh, kinds of regulations. And you heard Pastor Newell in his testimony last uh, week uh, talking about this. So all of this ultimately has an impact, ultimately has a cost uh, of these racial dispar- disparities. They, they, they act as an economic chokehold on, on the uh, Alana communities. Black earns 71 cents on the dollar uh, um, compared to whites. Native American 68.7, 68 cents. Latino 70 cents. Asians 94 cents. 53 uh, percent gap in ho- home ownership between blacks and whites. A 21 percent gap in the six-year graduation rates between blacks and whites. And as I mentioned to you, the smaller size of a typical uh, Alana minority firm. Aggregate all of this, it comes up to about 287 billion, 22 billion lost in income, uh, 171 central billion loss in lifetime earnings, uh, 67 billion uh, gap in this business revenue if they were bigger, uh, 24 billion loss in home ownership, reduced rent payments, lower property taxes. You add them all and that's a sizable impact which is greater than the again the GDPs of many countries too 287 billion uh, combined loss in alana income assets and lifetime, lifetime earnings and the state also loses in at least 2 billion dollars in extra annual taxes that the state could uh, could receive for programs nationally as uh, representative Richardson uh, documented the city study documents that closing the black wage gap would add 2.7 trillion uh, in income or 0.2% of GDP. Uh, The closing the housing gap would add uh, 770,000 black homeowners, closing the education gap would increase lifetime earnings up to 113 billion and closing the entrepreneurship gap would add 13 trillion in business revenue. Intergenerational, using big data, the uh, economist at Harvard, Shetty, he uh, has done some f- phenomenal study found at opportunityinsights.org on this website where you can even find Minnesota data. But in this particular illustration, if you take a black uh, kid in a, in a wealthy household and a white kid in a similar wealthy household, you find that the mobility is uh, significantly less for the black kid for all these different reasons that come in play in preventing success. The COVID uh, pandemic uh, was a, a severe blow to the communities uh, in business and in, in, in workforce high, um, maybe about 36 to 38% of of uh, the Alana workforce applied for unemployment un- insurance. Uh, businesses were hard hit. The, we all know about the disparate uh, way in which uh, uh, the health statistics are showing up for COVID patients and uh, uh, we. Uh, uh, this is combined again with the civil unrest that caused massive destruction to economic assets and this economic decline that's happening in the economy tends to be in sectors where the Alana communities are dominant. For instance, that uh, uh, sectors that you cannot work from home are not teleworkable and sectors like retail and hospitality where large segments are employed and taken a big hit. So with all these combination of factors hitting in the community, this economic hold. what kind of solutions can we offer? And and we call it the Minnesota solution of shared sustainable prosperity. Shared, uh, this is a very uh, deep value in Minnesota around a welcoming and sharing community building the common good, sustainable in both uses of the word uh, in terms of the environment and in terms of sustainable investment and prosperity meaning improved standard of living for all Minnesotans. And so the Minnesota solution uh, has to uh, apply at many levels from fundamentally changing perceptions of how we use the Alana communities uh, to uh, a people-centered approach, measuring and assessing projects and policies and how they impact people, especially the most vulnerable, uh, uh, utilizing cultural intelligence to our know, institution programs and resources uh, and empowering the individual and the community to transform their own destination and transform institutions and, and sustained investments that are going to make this possible. So let me go to some of these ideas. Uh, talking about changing perception, one of the big ways to change perception is to look at the community differently. You know, um, um, uh, uh, perceptions matter. When when one of my family was uh, uh, about to go to surgery, uh, I usually go to the hospital dressed like I am right now with my suit, uh, for obvious reasons. And so just before the surgery, I asked to see the anesthesiologist and the person came up to me and one of the first things that he asked me was, uh, are you an attorney? Uh, So perceptions matter, the way we deal with with situations. And so we have to perceive our Alana communities as assets and think about as a policymaker that you are a steward of a 1.4 trillion economy that's bigger than some of the biggest economies in the world. And so how are we going to invest and grow these these assets? And it's very important uh, to change perceptions because uh, a core element of racism is is viewing people and and denying the value of people so that they can be exploited. And and, and by correcting it every time, we we are not only affirming The respect uh, given to people, but we're also unleashing some tremendous amount of energy and potential uh, when these people um, fully engage uh, with our economic resources and with society. How does 1.4 trillion break down about 25 billion in income? uh, That's fueling the retail and economic engine and the renters and the Alana renters every month put in $175 million in monthly rental payments uh, into the Minnesota economy. There are 45,000 plus businesses with 7 billion in sales, and this is 2012 data. Um, there is uh, about half a million workers, and if you estimate their lifetime earnings, uh, that's an asset base of 1.4 trillion. Uh, there are people in the schools and universities uh, with uh, um, they represent a 1.5 trillion in asset in in human capital. There's three billion in annual taxes uh, in state and local taxes, and then we have uh, that these communities combine uh, uh, op- offer to the community, and then the global and cultural assets that they o- offer Minnesota to become a globally competitive place uh, to um, uh, to uh, to operate and and have a business. Um, By the way, all these numbers that I I, I produce are based on the economic, from the census data. Um, I use some very traditional numbers. They tend to be underestimates because I wanna make sure that that whatever data I show can be verified um, by virtue of uh, um, um, anybody because they are Uncle Sam's numbers. Uh, Another important asset uh, by the way, I am not uh, able to look at the chat, so I'm, I'm not monitoring what questions are there, but I could come to that later too. Uh, if you look at another important asset that Carolina communities are offering is that uh, it's a young community, a young workforce, a lot of youth, and these youth represent future workers, future taxpayers, care for our seniors. They are people that keep our schools and universities Going, if, if these students disappeared from our schools and universities, the educational system in Minnesota will collapse. And these people, with their talent and the skills, are what's going to make Minnesota globally competitive. So, a strategy uh, change, ask change ways, uh, change uh, the perceptions to view these communities of assets, keep a focus on people, on the impact of programs on people. And so we should typically offer a portfolio of services that can unleash this energy off on people. So not only giving people a fish, but teaching them how to fish, expanding the capacity to fish, providing a space to fish, helping them invent a new fish, and ultimately transforming the fishing industry. We need to have these portfolio of services in the state and to measure their impact for the Alana communities, we need to have some very specific strategies and metrics that will assess ultimately the impact of people uh, at the base. Cultural intelligence is another important uh, uh, area that has a lot of significance. For instance, this data uh, shows the, uh, um, the breakdown in educational attainment by disaggregated ways. So within the Native American community, within the Asian community, within the Latino community, within the Black community, there's considerable differences. And as a policymaker, we've got to understand what are these differences, what causes these differences, and what's the appropriate remedy, whether it is a workforce, whether it's business, whether it's education, whether it's childcare, uh, whether it's any of our programs, we need to operate with cultural intelligence, because that's going to also give us some clues What is the most effective strategy? Uh, For instance, a strategy focused on female headed households and poverty might be a very effective economic development strategy. Uh, Then we uh, look at issues of empowerment and uh, a framework that I offer of looking at these different environments uh, from the social environment, the economic environment, the personal environment, institutional environment and empowering the individual and the community to have liberation in all these areas so that they can transform the economic, social institutions and resources to build community wealth and attain the shared sustainable prosperity. One of the interesting facts is, uh, and I know it for a fact because uh, in in the last two decades, I went before the judicial panel on redistricting and offered testimony and the last testimony uh, behind me were a group of people called 1mn.org, uh, and, and uh, this group actually developed a redistricting map from the perspective of, of minorities. Uh, what happens when the chickens draw the map instead of the foxes, so to speak? Uh, so uh, we, uh, I testified before the, legisl- the judicial panel and said, uh, here's a map of economic interest of the Alana communities. Uh, here's what we think we could get in terms of re- representation. We challenged the judicial uh, dist- uh, panel to come up with 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 statistics with, with representation of these economic interests. And when they did come up with a map, they were slightly better in terms of representation than we proposed. And so I had the opportunity to meet one of these judges uh, some years later and thank them for the map. And the judge said, "Oh, I remember your testimony. The point I'm trying to make is that." that that this economic uh, and political representation the alana communities have had a role in in helping frame these economic interests and so uh, we have to uh, make sure that these interests are are uh, properly um, uh, uh, reflected uh, because uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, for constitutional reasons and other reasons so when we Dr. look at
2: uh, Dr. Corey, um, yes. I just wanted to interrupt you for a moment. We've got a hand raised, uh, oh. Representative uh, Erdal. Oh, uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> now you're muted again, Representative Erdal. You know. Yes, can hear you
1: now, thank you. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Corey, I just want to uh, one of your early comments, uh, <clears throat> talk education discrimination. And I'm wondering what you think is the most discriminatory practice in education. Uh, uh, could you please repeat it? I didn't hear, what is the most? What is the most discriminatory practice? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, another way of, of, of answering that question is that if, if if I were to say what's going to be help uh, the Alana student the most, I would say affordable education. So uh, getting access to, uh, to education in terms of cost. The second thing would be in terms of a culturally intelligent learning environment. So when I'm learning economics and when I'm learning science and technology, uh, can we have Can I see the experience or can I understand the experience from uh, my uh, uh, background, right? Uh, The support services for students, uh, for example, uh, I know for a fact that that contact with a professor can make a big difference because the professor has now a personal understanding, a personal relationship with you and can help the future uh, of uh, of, um, it. uh, one of the failures of our system would be to look at accountability and graduation rates and 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 career uh, placements, uh, because ultimately that's what's preventing the student from achieving success. Uh, I hope that answers in some ways your question.
2: Representative Erdahl, any follow-up?
1: Would you be a little more specific, the barriers to achieving success that you just said, Dr. Corey? Uh, uh, Representative Richardson. So uh, one would be the financial ability, uh, would be the first barrier. Uh, the second would be uh, the academic preparedness of the student, because they are very often, they're coming from uh, poor academic um, backgrounds uh, in terms of the their taking up AP classes and taking off of uh, um stem education uh classes to that effect so that so these two factors uh combine to give them a tougher tougher challenge in 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 doing well in the class and then the third one would be the learning environment the culturally learning environment of the of the student okay uh, thank
2: You, are you you're all done, Representative Erdahl?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm done. Thank okay. you. Okay,
2: okay, Dr. Corey, please proceed.
1: So we are fortunate that we have 125 legislative districts with 100 at least 100 million in Alana economic represent interest in each of them, and this does not include these uh, the human talent uh, estimate. These are just the uh, income. I'm I'm just looking at income. And so, uh, uh, these uh, legislative districts in the House and the Senate have uh, people from all the parties involved. Um, and together, uh, they provide the necessary support and, uh, and, uh, and, and representation uh, as we think about these strategies that are most effective in bringing uh, about change in, in, in these communities. And so I've listed. I have these numbers for every legislative district uh, in in the state, and I've just identified uh, the top 125. Now, moving on to investments, what could we do in terms of investment? And and one of the as we came together uh, to deal with this crisis uh, of the pandemic, uh, the civil unrest, and and the economic decline uh, in the Salana Community Brain Trust. Uh, Our thinking is that every community should have some core economic infrastructure that would be good for wealth building. So there should be a community development corporation or a community development financial institution that has some technical expertise in business, real estate development, financial uh, uh, capacity. There should be business incubators, job boards, uh, legal, finance, and insurance uh, services. If you look at the people trying to recover from University Avenue and Lake Street, one of the biggest weaknesses is not having enough of legal and uh, insurance kind of advice. Uh, each one, uh, these district places could have land trust that make uh, um, housing and commercial uh, uh, est- uh, properties more, more affordable, the pictures about a commercial real estate land trust in Selby, on Selby Avenue, which have a business down and, and affordable housing on top. Uh, Co ops, uh, financial asset building in order to uh, build uh, future wealth. Um, people are debt, uh, have their uh, overcapacity in debt. So we got to think about equity funds. How could we invest in equity in the business? And uh, from the testimony of, of last week, uh, it'll be good also to have these community health clinic and wellness centers in these communities to to help people uh, cope with many of the challenges, as well as uh, capacity for emergency shelter, food, and energy. And you see that those are playing very uh, important roles in these crises. So, so a typical community should have access to these assets. So how do we get those assets? Some strategies uh, can be implemented with minimum cost. They need leadership and political will. For instance, uh, we could leverage our financial assets. We have millions sitting in, in banks, uh, in, uh, our deposits in banks. Can we bring them to the banks to the table to, to, to develop uh, an intentional uh, effort on growing Alana lending and financial assets one of the insights of the PPP failure to reach the Alana communities in Minnesota was people did not have that relationship with the banker. And so when this program came out in a hurry, uh, the ones that had connected to the bank got the money, the ones that did not, were not able to access that money. Uh, the state invests uh, in a lot of things as part of the investment portfolio. Could a fraction of that investment invest in community investment notes, for instance, that could support land trusts. So these will be revenue generating investments that would be part of the state's investment strategy. The state also has this huge financial pool that fraction of it could be leveraged to offer guarantees. A banker told me how important uh, the, the state guarantee, the deed guarantee was to his bank Uh, to get out those PPP loans in a very rapid way. And so all the state was doing was guaranteeing uh, the the due diligence that the bank was doing. We could leverage public spending. Uh, We just came out of a big bonding bill. Uh, How could that be leveraged to grow uh, businesses? Remember, we have two statutes in the books, state statute 16C and section three of HUD uh, that Pastor Newell... uh, Reminded us last week, so we need to invest in capacity uh, of these Alana businesses and workforce, so they can be successful in the project. In the project, sometimes the rules and regulations serve as a barrier for their success and for them getting in, in, involved. So, how could we re, uh, provide exemptions for businesses under a certain level? Uh, Not only should we provide opportunities, we should provide mentoring partnerships so that business grows from a $1 million business to a $10 million business in in 10 years or five years uh, through these mentoring partnerships. We need to be very deliberate in setting goals as to what type of goals that uh, we want in workforce. And and, uh, Kevin Lindsay uh, set the bar in terms of the workforce goals that become standard nowadays in, in contracting. Uh, info sections 3 and section 16c and all public spending and then
2: uh, oh hi doc, uh, dr Corey sorry to interrupt you but um we have a member question representative Cagle. thank you
0: representative richardson i was just curious dr corey what some what are some of the regulations that are rules that we could change um you know what are some of those barriers that that you see in those regulations and rules that could help? Um, some of the businesses and workforce.
1: Dr. Curry? Uh, Representative Richardson. Uh, Representative Kriegel, thank you for the uh, the question. Um, one example would be uh, um, requirements uh, for uh, wage and labor uh, requirements that that are very important uh, because they, uh, in the long haul good uh, good paying wages are what created the middle class. But for very small businesses, I would say, say under a million dollars, which are still struggling, if they were to uh, hire um, and meet some of those requirements, they would not be competitive and they'd not be able to to take part, uh, to, to offer those uh, uh, to uh, uh, compete. Uh, bonding requirements, um, can we, uh, develop a, a, a way in which uh, uh, we could have some facility that would meet those uh, bonding needs, but uh, reduce that burden on the small business. Uh, so those are two examples where um, I, that come to mind right away in terms of those rules and regulations.
2: Representative Cagle, any follow-up? Thank you, Dr. Corey. You can proceed.
1: Thank you, Representative Richards. I, I just want to mention that uh, the, the unions have played a very important role in in the development of of this country and and, and the workforce. And uh, research has found that uh, Alana workers and unions uh, they benefited much more than uh, other workers just because of that higher income that they moved from a very low income to a high low income. So the labor uh, uh agreements and, and, and good wages are an important part I, i'm just asking for uh, suggesting a, a an exemption at lower levels and there could be a way in which the same responsibility is is maintained for instance the small business is getting this exemption but is investing in their workforce through some kind of uh, uh loan or profit sharing component in in their wages so Workers are getting benefit as this business is also growing. Um, So coming to um, uh, need to monitor uh, not only the progress, but also and workforce are growing over time. Uh, Did this 100,000 business become a million dollar business through public spending and participating in this contract. We don't have that kind of information. And that's critically important information to show this is not a one-time kind of a thing, but this is a consistent uh, program. Uh, Some of the rules, uh, again, that we, um, uh, that I talked about would be um, in the area of housing could be zoning as we found in the video, Um, uh, changing zoning to allow more density so that affordable housing can occur uh, some new communities uh, need uh, larger household uh, more rooms for instance uh, in 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 uh, in the terms of their needs uh, the, what I mentioned about exempting businesses uh, smaller businesses from certain rules and regulations and then, Uh, streamlining paperwork and funding criteria. Sometimes to get a government program and get a government loan or a grant, it saves so much of paperwork that people say, ah, forget it, I don't wanna get involved. And so how could we balance accountability with making it easy and accessible to access these programs? Uh, Cultural intelligence and how we promote, how we offer, how we engage, uh, is very important in terms of making sure that these programs are successful. We can also leverage our Congress congressional delegation because the federal government has a tremendous amount of resources that uh, that Mr. could be
2: yes uh before you get into the slide, I see a hand was just raised. Uh, Co-Chair Moran. Yes, thank you, Chair uh, Richardson. Um, Dr. Cora, did you go back to the last
0: slide that you just had up? And um, just for, you know, because cultural intelligence is not easily understandable, could you kind of like explain what that is again for that, us?
1: Thank you very much. And I think um, that different cultures uh, um, uh, relate differently uh, to um Uh, For instance, some people may not look at you in the eye when they talk, or some people um, might uh, uh, have an experience, a negative experience with government. And so getting connected with government in any form is, uh, is really troublesome. Sometimes people don't realize that their program is there for them, and they can access it. They think it's not there for them. Uh, Sometimes the way it's the language. So in the PPP program, uh, there's all this paperwork that a business owner had to understand, but it was all in English. And because of COVID, uh, nonprofits didn't have the ability to go knock at the door of the person's home uh, or business and show them and help them with the paperwork. And so they would not know what to fill in, what kind of forms to submit. Uh, and so you found as people were learning about it, uh, cities like Minneapolis and St. Paul and the state began to offer multiple language uh, translations and, and resources to help them better access those programs. Uh, so understanding, as I mentioned the earlier statistics, that if you were to say a broad category. So Asians are doing very well. So they don't know, uh, they don't need any uh, uh, any uh, attention, but you've got to break it down and see it. maybe it's the Asian Indians that are doing well and not the Karen. Uh, and so that's the cultural intelligence you get when you engage with the communities uh, across different cultures. Uh, did that help?
0: co oh, Chair Moran?
2: Yes, Madam uh, Chair. No, and so, um,
0: um, thanks again to the uptake for sharing that video with us. That's it for now. We'll see you next week for our next episode. As we continue to explore social movements and community organizing across the twin cities for now, thank you for listening to the radical news radio hour. You can reach us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com. You can find us at journalismofcolor.com, and you can listen to all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and several other podcast platforms. Thanks to Manny Mestas for this episode's opening and closing theme music, and for now, you're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM.